Hi, I'm Christos Gage, writer of Avengers Academy, and you're listening to Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. Is this Chris? Yes. Hi, Chris. This is Paul with uh, Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. Oh, yeah. Well, I have a couple of other chaps on the phone with me tonight. I, I have to ask you first, um, is it, should I call you Chris or? You can call me uh, either. It's it's um, it's fine. My wife calls me Chris. I started to go by Christos in the sixth grade because there were about six Chris's in my class. So just to set me apart. But I just whatever makes people more comfortable. Oh, yeah. See, we are on the same level as your wife. We have the same there name. There you go. <laughs> um, on the line, I've got Wayne. Hello. Hello, Wayne. And Hi. Tim. Hello. Chip. Hi, Chip. Tim. Tim. I'm uh, sorry? Tim. Oh, Jim. Oh, close. Tim. Timothy? I, I'm, just not, I'm just not getting it. <laughs> uh, uh, Timothy. Tim. Tim, I see. Okay. There we go. <laughs> I moved the mic closer to my mouth too, so there we go. Okay, good. In, in doing research, you know, for for our interview, I see that you you actually wrote a couple of films before you started getting into your comics work. That's right. And um, you know, we we've actually. Well, I should, I'm sorry. My wife and I wrote them together. Ah, look at that! Very cool. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so tell us a little bit about transitioning from film to comics. You know, how did how did you first get into the, you know, to writing comics? Well, uh, when I I've been a lifelong comics fan, and I got to I met and became friends with Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor in about 2003. Uh, at the time, my wife and I were writing for Law and Order Special Victims Unit, and uh, when we were in town for the shooting of one of our episodes, uh, Jimmy was kind enough to set up a meeting for me with Dan DiDio at DC. And uh, we were talking, and I pitched him an idea, which became the Deadshot miniseries, which is my first comics work. So that's kind of how that came about. Well, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And so you worked on Deadshot and you know Legends yep. of the Dark Knight and a couple of things, and then you uh, you've, you've done a ton of work at Marvel. I mean, you've done a ton of work at you know you're still kind of um, writing multiple series uh, at DC, primarily at Wildstorm. Mm-hmm. But um, now tell us a little bit about. Oh, I'm sorry. Please go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. <laughs> so you know, um, I kind of want to know. Actually, I'm very curious about how you got involved in the Wildstorm universe because I, I know you've written a lot of high-profile titles like Wildcats. Um, I know you were involved in the Authority for a little while, uh, or in some of the characters uh, miniseries on that, and you also worked on their their big kind of crossover thing, the the Armageddon yeah, revelations. Um, Yep. Well, let's see. I uh, soon after I did Deadshot, I met the guys at the Wildstorm, which uh, I was living in L.A. and they're just down in San Diego. So I went down and met with them, with Hank Canals and uh, 
and Scott Thunder at the time and Ben Abernathy, who I'm still working with and who, who's uh, Ben and Hank, and they're terrific guys. Uh, I didn't meet Jim Lee that time, but I've met him since. Uh, and I just get along with those all those guys really well. And, you know, they're great to work with. Uh, I, they like working with me and hopefully we'll continue to do so. I actually have a creator-owned series in the works with Wildstorm right now that has not been announced yet. So I've got to keep a little, you know, enigmatic about it. But uh, that will be coming out soon, I hope. Very cool. Look <laughs> We have exclusive pseudo information. That's right. <laughs> is that your first creative uh, uh, creator owned that you that you're working on right now? No, I've got. Um, well, let's see. There's uh, actually I did a, a, a the, the second thing I ever did in comics was a creator owned miniseries for uh, Arcana Studios called Paradox, which was about uh, a world that runs on magic instead of science and. Um, it, what happens when someone starts committing murders using science in that world. And that uh, just last year got made into a movie with Kevin Sorbo starring that has not been released yet. It's they're currently, they have it over at Cannes for the buyer's market there. Um, so uh, that was my first creator own book. Uh, my wife and I were. That sounds like a fascinating also. concept. It's a, it was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, hopefully I, I haven't seen the movie yet. Hopefully it's good. But Ruth and I wrote the screenplay and, uh, you know, the, uh, a um, company that I believe is based in Canada made the film, and, uh, you know, I haven't seen it. I hope it turns out well. But, uh, yeah, that was the first creator-owned book, and other creator-owned books have included, um, you know, to different degrees of creator ownership. There's Area 10, the original graphic novel that just came out that I did with Chris Salmi. Um, uh, Absolution, my book with Avatar Press, mm-hmm. which... Uh, the sequel is coming out early next year. Um, and let's see, I'm sure I'm forgetting something, but uh, off the top of my head. Oh, I've got a book with uh, Top Cow called Sunset coming out pretty soon. I think they're going to show the first issue in at uh, Comic-Con. And uh, that's all I can think of right now. There may be something else. <laughs> you mean that's it? Only a million titles? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm noticing that while you have had some runs on various titles, you've done a lot of miniseries work. Is uh-huh. it? Do you have a preference for miniseries versus ongoing? And do you write them any differently? Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't really have a preference. It's just that uh, the miniseries are what you know have come my way, and I do enjoy writing them because with miniseries, you know that there's an endpoint starting out, so it's kind of you know structured like a movie in the sense that. You, you kind of do the three-act structure, you know, beginning, middle, and end. I mean, even if you know that the characters are going to continue on, um, the, your particular story, you're crafting it more like a closed-ended thing instead of an ongoing series. Uh, so I guess maybe there's a certain affinity for that because of, of my background in screenwriting. But, uh, you know, it's not that there's any preference one way or the other. I mean, I've worked on Wildcats and... Uh, Avengers the Initiative and now Avengers Academy and those are all ongoing series so you know it's not like there's a hardcore preference it's just that you know I'm the kind of guy that people come to me and say hey what would you think about working on this and if it's cool I say that sounds cool and that's that's where it goes (laughs) so moving into Avengers Initiative the early in the series, they set up a lot of mysteries and a lot of questions and by the time you came on which was around issue 8 I believe yep some of that, some of that stuff had already been rolling. 
did they just tell you, here's what we have planned for this, or were you able to answer those on your own? Um, most of, well, the stuff that, that was revealed when Dan and I were co-writing, most a lot of it had been set up uh, you know, by Dan, and he said, this is where I'm going with this. He was always great as far as being open to other suggestions, but, I mean, for instance, he knew from the second issue that Hank Pym was a, a Skrull, uh, so that was established already when I came on the book. Um, let's see. I mean, other things like the identity of Mutant Zero, which turned out to be Typhoid Married, that was something Dan had planned from the beginning. Uh, and I don't really, I don't know that what other mysteries there were off the top of my head, but, uh, oh, that Nightmare was Trauma's father. I think Dan had planned that out already. So yeah, I mean, he, he had planned a lot of the stuff that was revealed during our run together. He already had planned out. Um, and when, when he left the book, you know, for instance, I, it wasn't revealed that Nightmare was Trauma's father, but, you know, the, the, the payoff when he comes and, and, you know, enters our world, uh, that was something that I chose to do. But Dan was great when he left the book. He said, you know, whatever you want to do from here on out, you know, you should do it. It's your book now. And there were some things where I continued on in the direction that he had set up and other things where, you know, I went in my own direction. So, I mean, it was all kind of, it actually kind of worked out well because, my tenure on the book is, you know, when I took over as sole writer was around the time Dark Rain started. So it kind of, you know, the whole concept took, got thrown a curve there when it became about villains and the big guys went underground. So I, I was very fortunate in that I didn't feel like I was, you know, running with someone else's uh, plan. You know, I got to do my own stuff. So that was cool. So as the new team came on, how many of those characters were your creations? Well, which which team? The basically the second class that came in through the initiative. Oh, uh, I don't think any of them. The only character I created for initiative was Butterball, who came in issue thirteen. Um, most of the second class came on as um, well. It's, it's kind of a funny story, actually. Secret Invasion was coming, and uh, Dan. Uh, I think there was a, a summit. A story summit in which Bendis told Dan that he wanted to kill off a bunch of uh, initiative uh, pe- people during the Secret Invasion War, and Dan didn't want any of the characters he was really attached to to be killed off. So he brought in. This was happening when I came on the book. He brought in a whole bunch of characters to be cannon fodder, like Red Nine and Gorilla Girl, and all. Uh, no, I brought in Gorilla Girl, uh, like Red Nine and and uh, you know some of these other folks. And then Bendis didn't kill any of them. <laughs> so we had this huge, huge cast um, to juggle, which was, I, I enjoyed it. But, uh, um, that's when a lot of those new, and some of them were new characters, like uh, Melee, who never really got her potential explored. Um, then there was there was Proton, who was really, that was sort of Dan's joke. It, he was the uh, regular Marvel Universe version of Geldof from the Ultimate Universe. Uh and, but really, most of them are pre-existing characters, just very obscure ones like Dragon Lord and that sort of thing. I'm going to let you in on a secret. He might not have been the only one clamoring for some of those guys to die off. <laughs> but, <laughs> but what I what I, I thought was the beauty of Avengers Initiative was that all five of us read it um, that are on the cast, and we all had different points where we had grown and go, oh, not that guy, or oh, sweet, finally this guy. And so when the stories were parsed like that, there was a little bit for everybody. Is that mm-hmm. kind of the feedback that you got when you started writing when you started writing in that style? 
Well, I, I, I did have a lot of people say that they really liked the fact that this book focused on a lot of, you know, Marvel Universe characters who don't normally get the spotlight, and they felt like it really did a, the book really did a good job of giving everyone enough screen time that you got into them and, you know, felt it was satisfying. It didn't feel like anyone was being shortchanged. Uh, and that's something I, I like to do. I mean, I, I did a story in issue 27, which was about this obscure 80s villain called Johnny Guitar, who had appeared in one issue of Dazzler in the early 80s. And I did a 12-page story about him. Uh, and people, a lot of people have told me it's their favorite issue of the run, and it's probably one of my favorites. Um, and they said, you know, you really made me care about him and, uh, you know, told the whole story in 12 pages. And, and I, 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 I like doing that. I think it's something that, uh, you know, it's a hard thing to do, but it's a satisfying thing to do when you can do it. So... You know, I'm glad people like that aspect of it. So one yeah. of the things we've talked about quite frequently on this book is we all have a lot of issues with continuity issues. We're big continuity mm-hmm. fans. We like things to tie together. And we've noticed that through the last couple arcs, this book has been really good at actually paying attention to what's happening on, you know, say, Siege and trying to mm-hmm. play in with that. Was that a conscious effort on your part to to tie in exactly without having any continuity flubs? Well, yeah, and, and part of it had to do with the fact that, you know, uh, I mean, I had I, I was sent all the scripts for Siege to read before writing my issues, and, you know, that was good because Bendis was, you know, uh, wrote Siege ahead of when I was having to write the issues, and sometimes you have that luxury and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you're writing, you know, a... a bigger, more involved crossover you're participating in, and the books are being written more or less at the same time, so minor things, you know, minor uh, uh, continuity glitches pop up that there's, you know, unfortunately, there's no way to really avoid. But, um, you know, I mean, in this case, you know, I don't think anybody ever wants to make continuity mistakes. It's just the the nature of the beast when you're you're juggling storylines like that. Um, So... You know, I'm glad that it worked out for you guys, definitely. Yeah. Now, um, you know, Avengers the Initiative is kind of a product of the results of Civil War. Okay. Exactly. Or was a product, because I, I guess the series is not, uh, not currently running. Um, you know, and during its tenure, uh, I'd say a good portion of it, you know, was involved in, in, in a crossover of some sort. You know, we had uh, mm-hmm. World War Hulk, uh, Dark Reign, Siege, uh, Secret Invasion, you know, all throughout different points of the storyline. And, you know, the, the story really took sharp turns. Um, you know, uh, throughout the throughout the run, you know, um, you know, mm-hmm. you know, Dark Rain was, a, you know, a whole different beast for the for this title. Um, you know, yeah. it, it's kind of funny. I remember I read the the first couple of arcs of the book, and I think it just, you know, it was just a matter of money, and you know, I, I just kind of was like, yeah, you know, I'll, 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 you know, I'll pick it up, you know, when it's all done, or you know, I'll, I'll, you know, get back to it, you know, and catch up at, at some point when I have more money, and uh, when I got back into it. I picked it up right before Siege, and I noticed the focus on Taskmaster. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, you know, it, it, which was you know entirely different from when I had read it originally. You know, were, were these choices that you know? I mean, obviously, you know, the story is kind of a living animal, and you know, it goes in different places than maybe you originally expected. But um, you know, did did you have some of this planned ahead of time, or were you know they they beats that you took off from? Um, you know, from some of the crossovers that happened. 
Well, I mean, first of all, the, the whole premise of the initiative, which I thought was really one of the strengths of the book, was that it, it, it's the kind of, you know, the initiative is basically America's superhuman army. So it stands to reason that it would, they would be involved in every crossover. Anytime there's something big going on that superhumans need to deal with, they're going to be right in the middle of it, which is great because it gave you a reason. You know, it's not like you're writing Man-Thing, and then for some reason Man-Thing leaves the swamps of Florida and goes into space for the Infinity Gauntlet. You know what I mean? It's, not, it's never forced. It's like this is what this, <laughs> this organization exists to do. Uh, so that was cool, and, and it was always intended to be that way. As far as the focusing on Taskmaster and stuff, I mean, one of the things I liked about the initiative, you know, when I started working for Marvel, and Ben just said this happened to him. I read an interview where he said, when I started working for Marvel, I wanted to play with all the toys before they wised up and fired me, which I knew they were going to do at any minute. And I had the same thing. I still feel that way. You know, it's like, I better play with all the toys before they say, okay, you know, you get out of here. You're messing everything up. Um, so it, it was, it part of it is wanting to give all the characters, all these great characters, many of whom don't have their own books, a moment in the spotlight and show why they're cool. And part of it is just personal preference. I mean, Dan brought Taskmaster into the book. Uh, and I think one of his reasons was he knew that Dark Reign was coming and wanted there to be some villainous characters on there so that when it transitioned into Norman Osborn's regime, they would stay in the actual initiative. But Taskmaster is just one of my all-time favorite characters. Uh, I bought his first appearance when it came out in 1979 or whatever it was and uh, just love the character, love the design, love everything about him. So the focus on Taskmaster is just me being a nerd, I guess, and thinking it's a really cool character because one of the things I always liked about him is Unlike most supervillains, when things aren't going so well for Taskmaster, pride does not get in the way. He's like, all right, I'm out of here. You know, I mean, in his first appearance, he took on all the Avengers. He's doing pretty good. But then as soon as, like, Iron Man and Thor or whoever came along, he's like, okay, that's it. See you later. And uh, I like that in the care about the character. And he's always kind of walked the line. He's not an evil, all outright evil guy, but he's selfish. <laughs> he's very self-interested. So I just thought that was a cool character to focus on. But... You know, at one point or another, I like focusing on all the characters. I love doing the stuff with uh, Johnny Guitar. I like doing the stuff with the original cast, uh, the the Komodo and Hardball relationship, especially the stuff in Madripoor when Humberto Ramos was drawing the book. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just I, I love the book because there were so many characters in it. It was just so much fun to, to go back and forth. To me, it never got old. And, you know, a lot of people tell me they feel the same way, which is very satisfying. So I particularly enjoyed the Diamondback and Constrictor relationship. So I'm kind of oh, yeah. curious, going into uh, Avengers Academy, is this going to be a clean break from what, from the previous title, or are some of these stories going to be picked up again? It is. A, it, it's a. It's a fresh start. It's a new book. Uh, people who've never read Initiative uh, Initiative can get in on the ground floor of this. Um, that's not to say that story threads from initiative are going to be completely dropped, especially with the characters who carry over like Speedball and Justice and Tigra. But, you know, some of the threads might be picked up elsewhere. Um, I know that uh, Jim McCann, I tend to like a lot of the same books and he's doing Hawkeye and Mockingbird. And you may see some of the threads get picked up there as far as Constrictor and Diamondback. Uh, and I know there's some plans in the work for Taskmaster elsewhere, uh, but that's not to say Taskmaster won't show up in Academy because I really like the character. But no, it, it is it's a new it's a new book, it's a new start and uh you know, Avengers Academy is designed very much for people who ha who, you know, to to get in on the ground floor of a new book and hopefully get really into it. Um but you know, if people if somebody was a really big fan of the initiative, they'll get the same writing style that I used and 
uh, you know, there's some characters I can't stay away from too long, Taskmaster being one of them, and, you know, I'm sure he'll Yeah, and, and, you know, a lot of us were calling Avengers the Initiative Avengers Taskmaster for a while, because it was really awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I also you know, want to... You know, I was just gonna say, just so the, just so the listeners know, you did point out how Thanos Imperium ends with the Man Thing having the Infinity Gauntlet. So that'll just be <laughs> our secret between us and you know all the comic book fans that listen. <laughs> well, good. Um, so I have to ask, just because mm-hmm. you know, before we move into Avengers Academy, you know, we we talked with Fred Van Lente mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago, and he mentioned a possible Taskmaster series coming up. Is ah, that okay. something you might be involved in as well? Uh, I think there are plans for Taskmaster that I'm not involved in right now, ah. but I don't really know what they are. Um, but, you know, that's not to say that I don't want to write him in the future. I do. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know what the plans are. I honestly don't. I just know that, you know, someone at uh, Marvel said to me, oh, yeah, we're going to pick up the threads of what you did with Taskmaster. I was like, oh, great, because I didn't have plans for him in the early you know part of Avengers Academy so I'm just psyched to see the character staying in the spotlight you know with um and with the end of Avengers the Initiative you know I think a lot of us especially you know when you flip the last page of Avengers the Initiative and you get that ad for Avengers Academy you know kind Mm -hmm. of thought that Avengers Academy was kind of like a continuation uh, of the storyline and then you know some of the character reveals started coming out uh, from Marvel, and we realized this was an entirely new cast of folks. Yep. So, you know, tell us a little bit about the the, the idea uh, for Avenger. You know, tell us a little bit about what the story of Avengers Academy is. Well, the premise of Avengers Academy. First of all, there, I'm not going to reveal everything because there's there's a really cool, well, what I think is cool, uh, you know, reveal at the end of the first issue that I hope I hope people will like. And you know, I'm old school. I remember the days when you you know you would read a comic and you wouldn't know what was going to happen until you actually read the comic. Um, and, you know, I, I'm hoping to recreate some of that, you know, like when people read the first issue of Thunderbolts and you get to the end, you're like, oh, my God, they're really villains, you know, and, uh, you know, or the first issue of Runaways where you're reading about these new characters and you don't know anything about them, but you're really drawn into the story. So, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, I, I'm not saying that there's a direct comparison. That's, that's some high standards to live up to. I'm trying to live up to them, so mm-hmm. hopefully people will agree. Um, but yeah, the idea with Avengers Academy is that it's now the heroic age. Uh, the Avengers, the initiative as a entity, the Superhuman Registration Act is over with, but the Avengers still feel a responsibility to train the next generation of superhumans. Uh, during Dark Reign, Norman Osborn had been searching out young superhumans that he could mold in his image, which often meant doing horrible things to them to increase their powers or to brainwash them or whatever. And the Avengers have kind of picked some of these that they consider the most promising and are training them to be the future of of the Avengers. Um, and what you've really got with the faculty, you've got Hank Pym, Tigra, Quicksilver, Justice, Speedball. These are some of the Avengers who have the, the most baggage, which is both by design, because I really like writing those types of characters, but also, in a way, they have the most to teach, because Quicksilver has been both a teen hero and a teen villain. Um, you know, Speedball and Justice founded the New Warriors, and they've sort of seen the heights that you can ascend to, and also the depths. Justice went to jail for um, accidentally murdering his abusive father uh, with his powers, and of course, Speedball had the whole 
uh, tragedy at Stanford. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a great mix of characters. And into that, uh, you know, a lot of people have asked, well, why not just continue the cadets from the initiative? And it's because they're not cadets anymore. They're trained. They're full-fledged superheroes. We wanted to really bring in some new characters that are raw. They're green. They're young kids who are, you know, I mean, not to get too metaphysical, but when we're teenagers, all of us are at a point where we're trying to figure out who we are, what, what we want to do with our lives. We're realizing what's, what our strengths and weaknesses are. And it's a really exciting but also frightening time because the decisions you make could affect the rest of your life. Um, so, you know, that's the feel we're going for with Avengers Academy, but in a, in a superhero setting. In a so what can you... So what can you tell us about the new students? I mean, I know there was a uh, a one-shot with Reptile, so we know a little bit about him. But everyone yeah. else seems completely new. So, Yeah, they are. There's uh, Let's see. Again, I don't want to give away too terribly much because each of the first six issues will spotlight one of the new cadets. I mean, there will be stuff with the other characters, but we'll be, you'll get the point of view of, of one of the cadets in each of the first six issues and hopefully get inside their head and get to know them. Um, there's a character called Hazmat who can give off various deadly substances such as radioactivity, but as a side effect, she's locked into this containment suit because she's literally poisonous to others. Uh, there's a, a guy named Metal who is, uh, who people may know as Fortress, but we had to change the name because there's an image character called Fortress. Um, and he is like Colossus if he couldn't change back to human form. Uh, you know, he's this almost indestructible metal guy, but, you know, he can't turn human. Um, then there's Vale who can assume different gaseous states. Uh, and there's sort of a twist with her that you'll see in issue one. Um, there's Stryker, who is an electrical character, electrically powered character, who's sort of, you know, a guy who's in it for the fame more than anything else. Um, and then, let's see, who have I not touched on? There's Reptile. Oh, yeah, and then there's Finesse, who is a, a fun character to write. She can duplicate other people's abilities just by seeing them and pick up skills really quickly but she uh, has problems with human interaction. Uh, human emotions and interactions just confuse her, and it's unclear if this is, you know, is she on the autism spectrum, or is she, you know, is she a sociopath, or is she just a little off? It's, you know, so it's fun creating these new characters. I should say co-creating them with Mike McCone, because as the artist, he's a fantastic artist, but he's also an amazing character designer and at bringing these characters to life. Um, so it's great being able to, for us being able to create these new characters and give them personalities. And, you know, I'm not an idiot. I know that if people don't like them, they'll end up cannon fodder in a crossover a couple <laughs> years down the line. But, uh, you know, hopefully people will like them. and It would be awesome if, if uh, you know, they became part of the Marvel Universe. That would be really cool. So out of curiosity, is it harder to come up with character concepts and all of these origins now that something like Decimation is taking taking basically being a mutant off of the table as an option? Well, you know, to be honest, I think that, I mean, the days when every first issue had to be an origin story and explain what, how the character got their powers, I think, are over. I think people now are a little more accepting. I, I like the mystery of... You know, like when you first started watching Lost and you didn't know what was up with all these characters and you found out over the course of the season, uh, I, I, with a lot of these characters, you don't know their origin. And they don't, they might not know their origin. They just got these powers one day. Um, and it's part of the fun figuring out how, uh, speculating, well, where did this come from? Am I a mutant? Am I a, uh, you know, was I exposed to some sort of chemical? Is magic involved? Uh, that was part of the fun of character of trauma in the initiative, you know, 
when he was killed in a storyline, and then he was literally in his coffin and he sat up alive. And they're like, what's going on? And it turned out he was magic. He was Nightmare's son. So I'm trying to think if any of the characters' origins are spelled out. I don't think any of them are directly spelled out as in this is what happened. Uh, But there's enough sources in the Marvel Universe that, you know, I mean, you could be the child of a superhuman and then you're not even a mutant because a mutant is someone who has characteristics that their parents don't have. Uh, You could be exposed to any number of magical cosmic rays or who knows what. The how of it is not as important as how you get there to me, you know, what what makes a good story. So, you know, I think there's going to be some some fun moments coming up with that. Awesome. So I'm sorry, you guys dropped out for a sec. Oop, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. All right, great. So, you know, you've got these characters, you've got, you know, these great new characters, and like you said, you've got characters who bring in a lot of baggage um mm-hmm. you know some from avengers initiative and some from mighty avengers um yeah. so i'm very curious uh you know in mighty avengers uh you know dan slot uh, when he picked up uh, after bendis moved on to to work on dark avengers i think you know dan slot you know had hank pym quicksilver a couple of other folks on the team and uh, you know in that storyline he he sets up the, uh, that Hank Pym is now the scientist supreme. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, it was hinted at that that could have possibly been Loki messing with his head. Are we going to see a continuation on some of those plot threads uh, throughout Avengers Academy? Uh, not right away. I mean, the biggest thing is you will see some continuations. Like, for instance, their headquarters uh, is the Infinite Mansion from from Mighty Avengers. So you'll see that. But as far as the scientist supreme, I'm, it's not something I'm going to dwell on. The issue was really to get Hank for for a long time. I mean, I think it was 1982 when they did that story of him having the breakdown and uh, you know turning on his teammates and all that. And for the long, for the next like 25 years, he was sort of the you know the redheaded stepchild of the Marvel universe and and was was written as a a very you know uh, defeated character. And I think what Dan wanted to do and where a lot of people wanted him to go, uh, including me, was to go back to his role as not, not forget that stuff that happened, but, you know, a lot of us encounter, you know, hit low points in life and hopefully come back from it and learn from it. And that's where we wanted to go with the character is, uh, you know, Hey, this guy's a founding Avenger. He's one of the smartest men on the planet. Um, I mean, he has, yeah, he's messed up. He invented Ultron, but you know, when he succeeds, he succeeds brilliantly. Uh, and so I think the idea was just to get it to a point where, He's no longer the whipping boy of the Marvel Universe. He's a, you know, and a uh, confident, capable character again. And uh, you know, moving forward, and instead of looking back all the time, not to say that you know it's completely ignored. I mean, you know, we were talking about it at the Avengers retreat. You know, if you're a student and you know your teacher's giving you a hard time, you know, you're probably going to cough and say "wife beater," which is actually something I had Prodigy do in initiative. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, you're not going to just let it go, but. As far as what defines a character, we wanted him to be, I think Dan wanted him to be, you know, a, a confident, strong character again. And I think that's what was achieved. Um, so it's not, we're not really going to dwell on Scientist Supreme, what it means, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that was more, as far as, I, I, you know, to me anyway, it was more about doing something for the character that moves him forward. 
So I noticed in the last run of Avengers Initiative, you've spent a lot of time seemingly redeeming some of these old uh, New Warriors characters. Like, I've always been a huge fan of Justice, but they tend to focus on him killing his father. And then we all know what happened to Speedball through Civil War. Were you a fan of uh, New Warriors? I did. I probably bought New Warriors 50 issues of it, and then I dropped off when I was in college and grad school and then I stopped buying a lot of comics because I just didn't have any money. Um, but, uh, yeah, I did like the characters, but, you know, I mean, to me, I, you know, it, it's what makes sense for the character. I mean, Justice was, became an Avenger under the Kurt Busiek run and, you know, was modeled himself after Captain America. And we've seen in the Guardians of the Galaxy future that he can be a real leader. And, you know, so I think to me that was, it was about keeping him on that, on that path. And then with, with Speedball, I mean, it's really Warren Ellis, uh, you know, Paul Jenkins did the whole speedball thing, but in his mini Penance miniseries sort of started him, you know, getting revenge on Nitro and sort of starting him down the road to redemption. And Warren Ellis picked it up with him, you know, being treated by Doc Sampson and realizing he could still manifest the speedball energy. And, you know, I think a lot of people think that in Avengers Academy, you know, it'll be like flipping a switch. He's just speedball again, like he was in the New Warriors. And the stuff he's gone through doesn't just go away. I mean, he, you know, you can't just put on a new set of clothes and become somebody else. He's still going to be struggling in a lot of ways with what happened. Uh, but to me, it's the next logical step on his journey is him saying, okay, I've done my penance, and now I want to try to be someone positive again, someone forward-looking. But the interesting struggle of the character is how do you do that? And how do you manage to, to do that given all that's happened? So I guess I, I'm, what I'm saying is I'm not on a specific pro new warriors <laughs> mission per se, you know, to me when I look at a character and say, okay, what makes sense to do with this character and what, what's interesting and, and compelling. Right. Well, you know, I know we're all looking forward, um, you know, to Avengers Academy uh, and, uh, you know, this episode is actually going to drop on uh, the day Avengers Academy comes out. So, you That's know, great. for our, our listeners, Avengers Academy number one is on shelves right now. You should definitely run out and buy it. Um, Absolutely. But, you know, I, I, I you know, um, I, I know uh, we'd also like to know about what else is coming up for you in, in the coming months. Well, let's see. There's uh, a Spider-Man Fantastic Four miniseries, which is a follow-up to the Spider-Man X-Men miniseries I did last year with Mario Alberti, who's a brilliant Italian artist. And I know that that miniseries was a, a surprise hit for a lot of people. It sold out, and a lot of people really liked it. And it's going to follow the same idea in which each issue, four issues, each issue takes place at a different point in Marvel history, featuring a team-up between Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four. So the first issue takes place in the Silver Age, second issue during the John Byrne era, and it involves actually Venom, because Mario does such a great job of drawing Venom and Carnage. Um, third issue takes place during the new FF Art Adams uh, era, when it was Hulk, uh, Wolverine, Ghost Rider, and Spider-Man took the place of the FF for a while. And then the final issue takes place in the present day. And uh, I've written all four issues. I'm getting art for the second issue, color art, right now, and it just looks amazing. So I, I think people who like the, first, the Spider-Man X-Men will, will really like this. Um, I'm doing an Invaders miniseries with uh, Alex Ross, who is uh, helping me write it and um, doing the covers. Uh, you know, Alex has been doing a lot of, you know, he's really been spearheading the return of the original Invaders, and this is sort of the culmination of that. It's set in the present day, um, although it does harken back to something that happened in World War II, uh, and it's got all the original Invaders together for the first time since the war, 
except it's got the present day Union Jack, um, which is a big thrill for me because I wrote a Union Jack miniseries. It was really my first, it was my second job at Marvel, but it was my first thing that was longer than 12 pages. And uh, a lot of people really liked it, and so did I. So it's cool to write Union Jack again. Um, I'm continuing on G.I. Joe Cobra, which I co-write with uh, Mike Costa. And uh, we're starting a, it's an ongoing book now. Uh, Issue 5 comes out, I believe, uh, in June. And we're starting an arc that looks at Serpentor and brings him into the IDW continuity for the first time, hopefully in a cool way that people will dig. And uh, let's see, like I said, Absolution Part 2 comes out early next year. Uh, Sunset, my top cow book, will be out soon. So will the the creator of Wildstorm book. And uh, if there's anything I'm forgetting, I do apologize. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I want to touch on two things that you said. Because uh, I, the Spider-Man FF miniseries, um, uh-huh. as soon as you mentioned the when Spider-Man, Ghost Rider, Hulk, and Wolverine, no, Hulk, yeah, Hulk and Wolverine yeah. were the Fantastic Four. You know, uh-huh. I still I have those Art Adams issues, yeah, Art Adams yep. issues. I loved when that happened. So cool. I, I'm 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 sold. I am sold on that miniseries. There you go. That's the that's the idea. Now you have to buy it. <laughs> And, um, you know, G.I. Joe Cobra, um, mm-hmm. I know we've been focusing primarily on Avengers Initiative and Avengers Academy. G.I. Joe Cobra was definitely one of the most critically acclaimed series last year. Uh, you know, yeah, I, it, was, I, it was really cool that people liked it so much. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a very adult take on the G.I. Joe mythos, and I, I think a lot of people loved it. So I think a lot of people are happy that it's now an ongoing series. Um, so, I mean, you know... Uh, so are you know um when you started writing it i mean you know obviously you you started it as a mini series now that it's an ongoing series were these plans that you had were this to become an eventuality or uh, you know do do you have a- well originally we we really planned it the story of chuckles you know the the first mini series was what it was planned to be and then the first four issues of the second one were what were going to be the second mini series and then we had plans for a third one which are still going to happen, there will be issues 10, uh, I think 10 through, thir- 10 through 13 or 14. Um, but now that it became an ongoing, what we're doing is we're getting to do another storyline in between, which is the Serpentor story, which focuses on Serpentor, but also some other characters. And I can reveal, I think, that Crockmaster's origin will be told. We brought him in in issue one of the new series, and a lot of people really dug that. Um, so uh, it, it's sort of like... We're, we're getting to look into other areas of Cobra besides the part that Chuckles is investigating. And then when, when we finish what we originally had planned for that, you know, the idea is to go look at other arms of Cobra. I mean, what's cool about the IDW version of Cobra is it's not a monolithic organization. There is a ruling council, but you've got Tomax and Zaymont have sort of the evil corporate part, and, uh, you know, Baroness has the military research and develop, you know, military scientific part. We're going to find out that basically Serpentor has the, uh, you know, religious cult, you know, religious zealot uh, part, although it's not any existing religion. It's one that he has made up uh, <laughs> that, uh, although, you know, Serpentor would say it's, it's the truth. Um, but uh, so we'll see, you know, you, we'll look at different aspects of Cobra and how it all you know, how it all comes together. So that's that's a lot of fun. I mean, people who thought that our, our earlier stuff was dark, I think the Serpentor arc is even darker than anything we've done. So 
I hope people dig that. And don't show it to your kids. <laughs> this sounds good. Um, now I'm going to ask you one one of the questions I, I like to I like to ask all all the comic writers that we that we get on. You've played in a lot of people's sandboxes. You got to drive a lot of people's toys. You've got to make your own sandbox and play with play with the own toys that you created. Is there any you know character IP out there that you know if somebody gave you a blank contract that you would you would love to to uh, to work on and if you could expound upon that. Yeah, um, for me, a big one, when I was a kid, I loved the Marvel comics of Godzilla and the Shogun Warriors, and I always wanted them to fight each other, and they never did. And my dream project, which will probably never happen because of the various rights reasons, would be Godzilla versus the Shogun Warriors. Uh, so there you have it. <laughs> Sounds like uh, we need Art Adams on the line as well. Cause, uh, Definitely. There you go. Definitely. I've already signed up an artist for you. Make it happen. All right, I appreciate it. <laughs> Well, Chris, I did get to write Devil Dinosaur, which was a big uh, wish fulfillment. <laughs> Devil Dinosaur is pretty cool, and we've seen yeah. them a lot lately, which is pretty awesome too. Yes, yeah. Well, you know, Chris, thank you so much for taking our, you know taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with us tonight. I, I'm absolutely well, my pleasure. Thank you for having me, <laughs> and I thank you, and I hope everyone uh, will check out Avengers Academy, and I hope they enjoy it. All right, thanks again. Thank thanks, you. Chris. Appreciate it. Have a nice All day. right. Thanks, guys. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. <laughs>